Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Everybody, JJ Cooper, Kyle Glazer here. Another Baseball America playoff podcast. We had two wild ones yesterday. We now have two games down in the ALCS where the Rays have a 2 0 lead over the Astros. And then we also have one game down in the National League. The Braves blow it open late. And I mean, very late. Nine, you know, basically at the end of that game, the Braves blow it open. Uh, and beat the Dodgers to take a 1-0 lead in the National League Championship Series. There is a lot to discuss from these two games. There's a lot to dissect, and we're going to do it now. Kyle, we're going to start with the second game. We're going to start with the one that that finished, and basically I wanted to go to bed right after it, and it just didn't happen. I ended up staring at uh, spreadsheets of, of velocities and all, and I think I fell asleep around 2 a.m. Eastern time. So I'm a little a little punchy right now because that game was good enough that I just could not wind down afterwards and ended up listening to podcasts and everything. But, you know, I'll take it again. I love good playoff baseball. I'd much rather be unable to sleep after a game like that than to fall asleep in the eighth inning of a blowout. So yay. But, but that said, we had two top notch starting pitchers go out and do what you expected them to do. Walker Bueller was great. Max Fried was great. Then they handed it over to the bullpens. And last night in the battle of the bullpens, I don't think there's any question at Braves one Dodger zero yesterday. And that's the difference in this game. Give credit to Austin Riley, <laughs> big home run monster home run to give the Braves the lead. Ozzy Albies adds a little bit of uh, insurance right after that with another home run. But to me, it was a, a battle of the bullpens and the Braves won it. And that get, put, means that they're up 1-0 in the best of seven. It's been interesting. The reaction, maybe it's just because I'm on the West Coast and there's a lot of LA uh, feeds in my uh, Twitter timeline. There's a lot of anger at Dave Roberts saying the Dodgers blew this. The Dodgers didn't blow anything. Give the Braves credit. They went out and won this game. They held the highest scoring offense in baseball this year to one run. They got up early. They put the Dodgers on their heels with the Freddie Freeman homer. And they made Walker Bueller work. Bueller needed 100 pitches to get through five innings. The Braves did a lot of things to win this game. Even before the big blows in the ninth, they really, really came out. They played well on both sides of the ball, even though they only had that one run. Just the way they made Walker Bueller work, the way that they were just going about their at-bats, they were having a really, really good game. They were playing really well, and then they broke it open in the ninth. Um, Again, I think for me, there's a lot of times people are angry about playoff losses. They want to blame someone. To me, this was a credit. Give the Braves credit. They did a lot of good things in this game. They went out and won it on the field, and give them credit. I, I. I feel like that that yesterday was a game where Dave Roberts, I don't think that there is a bullpen decision in that game that was illogical in any way. They went Bueller. They turned it over to Bruce Dark who was great. 
They turned it over to Dustin May for two innings, and he was great. And then they turned it over to Blake Trine, and that's that's their there's no one of these guys that they didn't pull out a guy who is not a key part of their, uh, their bullpen last night. And the guy, you know, they just had a guy in a situation that they, they needed him to pitch well. And he didn't. There's been people who have argued that, you know, you save Gradle off for later, but at the same time, my biggest thing is this is the group of relievers he has to work with. And we've talked about this, that the Dodgers with Kenley Jansen's decline, multi-year decline now, they do not have a great finishing option in the ninth inning. When they need someone to come in and shut it down, they just don't really have that. They're going to have to mix and match the way through this if they feel like the right matchup is McGee or Trinan or Gradwell. As I've said, Victor Gonzalez is their best reliever right now, and he showed that a little bit last night, but he has no ninth inning experience. But again, this is the group Dave Roberts has to work with, and I, I don't think you blame him for that. One of the things I went back and looked, because this has been an issue for a couple years now, the Dodgers' bullpens in the playoffs, they've traded for relievers at the deadline the last few years, but they've not never shown a willingness to even trade from the middle of their farm system to go get a guy who can pitch the ninth or be a power guy in the eighth who's maybe closed for another team and is coming off a good year. You know, Trinan was a great closer, but they bought low on him. Same with McGee. So, you know, in 2017, they went out, they got Tony Singrani and Tony Watson. Again, good bullpen pieces, that's valuable, but not guys who can finish a game for you. 2018, they went out and traded for Dylan Floro, John Axford, and Ryan Madsen, who was at that point in the midst of a terrible year at the end of his career. Again, complimentary pieces, but not a guy at the end you really can rely on in the ninth as a compliment to Jansen. Last year, 2019, they went out and got Adam Kolarik. Same thing, supplementary bullpen piece. In each case, they've traded from prospects number 20 to 30 in their farm system. O'Neill Cruz was in that range at the time they traded him to go get Tony Watson or guys on the outside of their top 30. You know, that 30 to 40 range, the Corey Poppings, Andrew Isler's, Nico Holsizers. They have not shown a willingness to trade from, again, forget Glaber Torres for Waldis Chapman, just the middle of their system to go get a better reliever, someone who can really shut it down at the end. And that's hurt them. You contrast that with the Braves last year to go get Mark Melanson. They traded away Tristan Beck to go get Shane Green. They traded away Joey Wentz to go get Chris Martin. They traded away Cal Colby Allard. Three impact type relievers who can pitch eights and nines. They traded guys who were 10 to 20 in their farm system. And as a result, they have more options they can trust at the end of games than the Dodgers do. So that to me, you know, the Dodgers have done such a great job in trades. They've done a really good job in terms of homegrown development. But I've noticed this now for, for the last couple of years, they're playing the analytical portion of, well, you never want to give up too much for relievers. But if you want to win a World Series, you kind of have to, whether it was Glaber Torres for Waldis Chapman, whether it was the Nationals trading away Jesus Lazardo to go get Sean Doolittle. At a certain point, you're going to have to trade from even just the middle of your farm system to get this guy. The Dodgers haven't, and it's hurting them. I will push back on one place because you just talked about him. They did trade a prime guy. Now, it was in a, a, a another deal, but Bruce Dargraderall is a prime guy that they acquired in a trade, and they, you know, so that's... Sorry, let me just, v- Proven veteran who has pitched eights and nines. At the time, Graderall is a prospect-eligible flamethrower. I'm talking about a guy like a Melanson, like, okay. a, Green, like a Martin, a guy like so, that. So... I think that you're coming around to my, when we talked about this, the preview podcast, I think the Braves bullpen is just better than the Dodgers bullpen. And 
here's the key thing to me. Like when we talk about the Rays bullpen of the teams that are left, the Rays have a really good, a really deep bullpen, but they have the A bullpen and they have the B bullpen. And game one, it was a big deal for them because they got a W in a game where they used their B bullpen with the exception of Diego Castillo. Who they and didn't so they, want to use, but they were forced to. Right. But so they were able to get the W and they didn't use Nick Anderson. They didn't use Peter Fairbanks. That allowed them in game two to go to rely on them pretty heavily. And by the way, Nick Anderson had one of his worst outings we can ever remember. Survived it, but man, that was that was a little frightening if you're the race because he was nowhere near the strike zone. Um, okay. By the but way, have, if, I can, if I can interject yeah. real quick, but to go get Nick Anderson, the Rays traded Jesus Sanchez. They got Trevor Richards mm-hmm. as well, but they traded a top 10 prospect in their system. To go get Pete Fairbanks, they traded Nick Solak, who was also a top 10 prospect in their system. Not, right? not, not top 10, 12, but top 12. 20. But yeah. Right. In that 10 to 20. Again, you have to be willing to trade from the top and middle of your farm system to get the full pen arms you need. And I think that's a big difference right now for the Dodgers. But yes, go ahead. But the thing with the Braves, they don't have an A bullpen and a B bullpen. They do. I mean, Jacob Webb, you know, like, but I think you're probably to like their eighth reliever before you're really on their B bullpen. The emergence of Tyler Madsick, who now is fire-breathing monster lefty, who is part of their, you know, again, a guy who, if he comes into a game, you're not going, oh, they've clearly, they're they're trying to paper around this. They're trying to get through this without using their best relievers. Tyler Madsick moved his way into that role, at least for now. And they just have, when you just talked about it, but it's Chris Martin and Mark Melanson and Shane Green and Darren O'Day and Will Smith. Smith, (laughs) And we could keep going. Again, you throw Tyler Madsick in there, you know. AJ Minter has a sub one ERA. (laughs) AJ Minter. The the depth of this bullpen is such. It it really makes for some... (laughs) The, Bra- the, the Dodgers clearly have much more rotation depth, but the fact that the Braves got a W in game one, game one and two, and whenever Max Fried and Ian Anderson pitch again in this series are going to be very important for the Braves. Obviously, they would ideally, if you're the Braves, you hope to win those four, and then it doesn't matter what you do the rest of the series. But that said, getting that win in game one, we don't know what's going to happen in game two or game three, but we know right now they're going to go they're going, they're going free. He's already won. They're going Ian Anderson. They're hoping they get a good start from Kyle Wright. And in game three, they can actually look at that and say, you know what? We have a legitimate starting pitcher for game three. We know that game four, they are absolutely positively bullpenning that game. I would assume Josh Tomlin is going to get the, uh, you know, the ball for the first couple of innings of that or Oscar Inoa, but there's no one else on a, uh, I don't think it's going to be Bryce Wilson, but they don't have another like starter they can rely on for that. They're going to have to bullpen, but they have the bullpen to maybe do that. But where it gets interesting because they won game one, if somehow, and I'm foreshadowing here, I'm getting way too ahead of myself, but if somehow they, I'm still unlikely they do this, but if they get to game five and let's say they win with Freed, Anderson, and Kyle Wright, and they game four, they lose because they're going bullpen game and they don't, they don't win in that one. They have an interesting possibility here where if they're up at that point, still three, one, 
they might go, they have the depth of the bullpen where they may go bullpen game, bullpen game, because then that lines you up that you go Max Fried, Ian Anderson on full rest game six and seven, where you would say, you know what? Let them throw Walker Bueller on short rest to win, to try to win game five. And again, they've got the bullpen depth where they could do that. And they're not necessarily going to ravage their bullpen for game six and game seven to do that. I'm getting way far ahead of myself, but I just do think that the Braves bullpen depth, the fact that they have that Jacob Webb, who is probably the eighth best guy in their bullpen or, you know, or abouts is a guy who, if you brought him in to pitch the third or fourth of a game, a game four, or game five, it doesn't mean that you've basically are bailing out on that game and saying, we have no hope. You think that Jacob Webb might give you a couple of good innings. I'll be curious to see the strategy here for both teams. You know, we talked last weekend and I was bringing up the point about the Dodgers having five starters and you were saying, well, they're not going to use five. We see teams use four and you were right. We have seen teams do that for the most part. And the Dodgers have kind of telegraphed. That's how they want to do this. But I actually sat back and thought more about it over the weekend. Cause I'm weird like that. And I think about baseball, even on my off days, I honestly came out of it thinking, no, the Dodgers actually really, really should and need to have lined this up traditionally Bueller, Kershaw games one and two with some combination of May, Gonsolin, Urias making traditional full starts games three, four, and five. And here's why. If they don't do that and they just use four of them and use May as a reliever slash opener, as it looks like they're going to do again, you're looking at throwing Walker Bueller on three days rest in game five and Clayton Kershaw on three days rest in game six. Bueller, as we've talked about, has had the blister issues this year. We saw he can go four innings, four innings, five innings, his first three starts. This isn't the Bueller who can give you seven or eight right now. And then Kershaw's history on three days rest, we know is terrible. Throwing both of them on three days rest is really not the optimal alignment for the Dodgers here. Really making sure those guys are on full rest. And even given Dustin May's split issues, which I understand, he still had a sub three ERA as a starter this year. It's two, eight, nine, and 10 starts. I mean, I just think that, again, there's a little bit of overthinking going on here. And again, the Dodgers, we can argue about their bullpen and Dustin May, how filthy he is there. It makes it better. I get that. But to me, the greatest advantage the Dodgers have in this series is that come games three, four, five, they have a chance to have a vast starting pitching edge to the point that even if they lost tonight and went down 2-0, if they rolled it out traditionally, I would love their chances to go back up 3-2. But now you've used May for an inning and two-thirds last night, which means if he comes back in game three or four, you're probably looking to get another one and two-thirds, two-inning, maybe three-inning type of outing. And if they burn him and Julio Urias in the same game, you're essentially forfeiting that massive starting pitching advantage you have. And that's where I want to see what the Dodgers do now. Maybe they go Gonsolin, Urias, traditional starts, games three and four, come game five, May can give them four or five if they use this as his throw day i I mean there's different things they can do but if they come back out from this with dustin may as all right he's our game four starter and he's going to throw two innings they've forfeited their greatest advantage and it just goes back to this is what i've talked about when i've said in the past that the only team that can beat the dodgers i think is themselves and if they overthink this and forfeit their greatest advantage it's going to be problematic but it's only one loss We'll see. I'm going to be curious to see what they do. And this is where I'm going to push back and say, no, the Braves can just beat the Dodgers because the Braves are not that much worse than the Dodgers. Again, over a course of 162, the Dodgers are better. But over a course of a seven-game series, even with 
if the, I think the, the fulcrum point is I'd expect Clayton Kershaw. I would expect, expect Ian Anderson to pitch. Well, the fulcrum point is though, if Kyle Wright pitches well again, at that point, if, if Kyle Wright gives them again, we don't know who's going to start game three for the Dodgers, but if Kyle Wright gives them a push in that game, this lineup for the Braves is basically as good as the lineup for the, the, the thing that stood out to me, one of the things that stood out to me last night, Austin Riley's not a great player. And I am going to push an analogy that is going too far. Understand, dear listener, I'm not comparing him to these players. But one of the things that stood out to me of when the Cleveland Indians were getting to that point in the mid-90s of kind of becoming a really interesting, kind of really good team, and that lineup, one of the things that stood out is, is they still had the Joey Bells in all of the world. Albert Bell, sorry. Albert Bell. My college days arise. Albert Bell. They still had guys like that. So what that meant is, is that they had batting down in the order. They had Manny Ramirez and Jim Tomei. Now, please, again, understand, Austin Riley is not as good as Manny Ramirez and Jim Tomei. But what the Braves have when they, again, Duvall got hurt yesterday, but when you have like Adam Duvall and Austin Riley at the bottom of your lineup, these are not guys who are going to likely go three for four for you. That's a reason they're not betting at the top of the lineup. But that said, they're the perfect guys at the bottom of a deep lineup where you're like Austin Riley, we know that you're probably going to strike out a good bit in this series. We know that you're going to carry some offers, but you have enough power. If you get the right pitch, you may win us a game. And that's what Austin Riley did. He won them a game. Whether Ozzy Albies gets the extra or not, doesn't matter. Austin Riley hit a go-ahead homer in the ninth inning off of a quality reliever. They had the lineup to match up with the Dodgers. But again, I come back to, when the, the thing that stands out about it is, is okay, so in that game, and you mentioned it, I mean, they, they got Bueller to 100 pitches in five innings. The, the Dodgers come into game two, not that pretty much almost every one of these guys probably can go again, Dustin May being the one question mark, not just because he went one and two-thirds inning, but also because what's the role you're hoping to use him in the series? But Bruce Dargaderall in inning, Victor Gonzalez pitched one-third of an inning, Blake Trinan was beat up, and they used Jake McGee. They went with, again, okay, Kenley Jansen didn't pitch, but I don't know if that's necessarily a great, you know, a big deal for the Dodgers right now. They used the majority of their best relievers. The Braves got six innings from Max Freed. They go into game two. Chris Martin threw an inning. Will Smith threw an inning. Mark Lanson threw an inning. All those guys could go another inning tonight if you needed to, no problem. But they also could say, you know what? Tonight's Shane Green's night. Tonight's Darren O'Day's night. Tonight's Tyler Matzik's night. Where Will Smith. AJ Will Smith, well, he went. He went an inning though. He did go an inning yes last night. So, so I'm saying. So you have these oh, guys. I'm sorry, you're right. You're right. Yes, my bad. Who, who literally didn't pitch last night? Who also had two other days off? Who are well rested? Where if they get six innings from Ian Anderson, they may say, okay, we're going to do these three tonight. Or Melanson, if they have a lead, would probably pitch tonight because that's what they do. But they could say these guys have this night. And by the way, come game three. Chris Martin, Will Smith, it's going to be your nights to shine again. And that's something where, again, I just think that the the depth of this Braves bullpen could be a very key part of the series. The Braves are a really good team. Again, we've talked about this before the year. They projected to be a great team. They've, they've really stepped it up lineup-wise. And 
you know, you make the point about Austin Riley. When that's your number nine hitter, you're in really good shape. You look at the Rays, Mike Zanino's the number nine hitter. He hit a monster home run yesterday and had the go-ahead RBI single in game one. But on the whole, yes, Austin Riley is a much better hitter than Mike Zanino. The Astros' number nine hitter is Martin Maldonado. Again, you give Edge Austin Riley. You know, the Dodgers have guys that they can put in the nine spot. They mix and match up who match up. But yes, Enrique Hernandez batted eighth for them, and he's, again, a good, very good hitter. Chris Taylor batting ninth. Yeah, you know, those, those are those I would absolutely agree. They match this. They have also that depth. But, but no, you, you absolutely, as we've talked about, give the Braves credit for just everything they've put together. This is an offense that we talked about was one and two with the Dodgers in most categories this year. Mentioned the Dodgers were the highest scoring offense in baseball. The Braves were second by one run. The Braves had a higher OPS than the Dodgers this year. They were one, two in home runs. Dodgers with the edge, but Braves right behind them at number two. This is a really good offense. And again, you're right. The Braves are capable of winning the series. I want to see how the Dodgers line their pitching up because that to me is going to be critical here moving forward. Obviously, they need a great outing from Kershaw tonight. They need to score more than one run. Um, but then how they line things up three, four, five is going to be critical to me and, you know, will could potentially absolutely give the Braves the opening they need to win this. Again, I'm pushing back on that. If the Braves no, no, win sorry, tonight, the, the, again, the I, I just want to make clear, if the Braves win tonight, it's not because of what the Dodgers do three, four, five. It would be the Braves have a 2-0 lead having gone against the best that the Dodgers have. And whether, how, whether Dustin May starts or relieves is less important in that scenario than the Braves beating Walker Bueller and Clayton Kershaw. Which is huge. Again, my, my point is, let me maybe, how should I say this? You Given would like to Dodgers, see them use their full rotation. Give, I believe that's what gives the Dodgers the best odds to win. And right. if they don't, it increases the Braves' odds. And they already have, you're right, by going up 1-0. And if they beat Clayton Kershaw in game two tonight, they are absolutely sitting pretty. And as I said at the beginning of this podcast, give the Braves credit. They won that game. It's not like the Dodgers they won that game. It's not just about the Dodgers blowing anything. I just think maximizing the chances is going to be key for the Dodgers moving forward, especially if they lose tonight. And if they don't do that, then the Braves are sitting extra pretty. Yeah. So that's going to be a fun one. We have that tonight. We have the the double nightcap today. We have two games, both of them. I'm on the East coast being night games. Kyle being on the West coast. You have an afternoon into an early evening game, which again, I'm a little bummed because there's, only like a two-hour overlap tonight. I'm a two-hour difference tonight. So we are going to have two games going on at once. I understand it. We live in a TV world. I get it. There's a big checks that are going. But at the same time, it is a little disappointing because it was great yesterday to be locked in for nine innings of two games. We can't do that tonight. That said, we're going to shift it over to the first game. The Rays take a 2-0 lead over the Astros in a game that, okay, let's start with this. The Astros, again, stranded a lot of runners. The Rays have been more efficient in when they get base runners, when they get opportunities, they've taken better advantage of them. The other thing is, and again, this we're trying to do this from, we're, we're not people who do not have dogs in this fight. I understand if you're an Astros fan or a Rays fan, you probably look at this very differently. The also, undisputedly, the Rays have played better defense in this series. They've also positioned themselves extremely well. And I say that because there have been some screamers that, 
I think I tweeted out yesterday, like if, if, if you gave me 10 feet, like, okay, I'm going to move that ball by two feet. I'm going to move that ball by a foot. I'm going to move that one by three. You could have turned that game from a raise win into an Astros, like five, you know, like they could have scored five, but that said, the Rays are taking advantage of everything and the Astros are not. I mean this as credit to the Rays. I feel like right now this series is one where the Rays are up to nothing and they haven't even played all that well. And the Astros are down 0-2 in a series where they absolutely probably in that clubhouse feel like, how are we down 0-2 in this series? And I don't mean that to take away from what the Rays have done or give extra credit to what the Astros have done. I mean that from the standpoint of the best scenario you can ever be in is if you're the Rays, you're two games into this series, Tyler Glasnow has not pitched yet, and you feel like we're up 2-0. And by the way, we could play way better than we played in these first couple of games because we haven't played all that well. And our best reliever just spent the ninth inning throwing ball after ball after ball after ball and got out of it because he threw one close to the strike zone and Alex Bregman hit it about 10 feet short of what he needed to. Advantage raised for that. It's been really, really interesting being at these games, seeing the Rays up close in person, covering them seven games in the last eight days, because you understand from afar that this is a good team that's well run, that's creative and that mixes and matches well. And, and look, this is the best team in the American League. They went 40 and 20 this year. They steamrolled everyone they were supposed to steamroll. This is a really good team, not just an underdog story. They're a legitimately good, talented team. But watching them up close, I've really gained an extra layer of appreciation for just how tight a ship they run, how well coached they are, how well positioned they are, how they're always put in the right positions, literally and figuratively, whether it's who's in the order against what pitcher, their defensive alignments. There are some teams who shift but don't really know what they're doing. They're shifting the shift, and they clearly don't quite have a full understanding of the data and who the pitcher on the mound is. And you see a lot of times teams shift poorly. The Rays are the best shifting team I've ever seen in terms of they have this really, really impressive understanding of not just what the hitter's tendencies are, but how he matches up with the, that pitcher on the mound and what's likely to happen. I mean, they've been perfectly posi positioned over and over and over again, whether it's four-man outfields, whether it's in the infield. And then when there have been balls that do look like they're going to get by them, they've made some fabulous plays. Willie Adamas has been playing crazy defense yes. all postseason. Joey Wendell yesterday made two plays at third that were impressive. G-Man Choi has to be the most flexible big man I've ever seen. The stretches he's making at first base have been incredible. I mean, the, the difference between him and Yuli Gurriel at first base in this series right now has been glaring defensively. And again, and I know I Choi's only played one game, I think. I even think about Eric Hosmer in the, in the mm -hmm. DS. I mean, G-Man Choi has been playing some of the best first base of anyone this postseason in terms of having to make the tough plays. It's just been really impressive to watch. And, you know, after... George Springer's hard hit double play ball in the eighth inning. I mean, he threw his arms up in exasperation. This wears you down when as an offense, as a group of hitters, when you feel like you're smoking every ball and scorching every ball, which they have been, and there's a guy right there every time that wears you down. It's frustrating as hell. And you are starting to see it wear down the Astros. They're talking about it. I mean, they're frustrated and that's a credit to the Rays. They are frustrating this offense with their defense. Um, you know, it's funny. I actually think back to the 2014 American League Division Series between the Angels and the Royals. 
that was a sweep. Everyone remembers it as a sweep, but I feel like what doesn't get talked about was in games one and two, the Royals outfield made like four different diving catches to keep the angels off the board. And that's just so disheartening and frustrating when you're squaring balls up, you're doing everything right. And they're catching it again, that wears you down. And that's what the Rays are doing to the Astros this series. And it's, it's a testament to them. And it's really impressive to watch. Uh, Manuel Margot doesn't make that. I mean, again, Manuel Margot made a catch that the, 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 the disregard for his safety is significant. Um, that was unbelievable. I, so I'm seated. The way they've done the press box set up, set up at Petco Park is they put us on the upper deck. So I'm down the third base line a little bit. So I've got a perfect view of the right field line. And I'm watching that thing happen. Like, is he going to get it? Is he going to get it? And oh my God, he caught it. That was, again, the best catch I've ever seen at Petco Park was Adam Jones' home run robbery it, for Team USA and the World Baseball Classic. I was also there during the Futures game when Margot robbed a home run in center field and Eloy Jimenez went over the railing and right. Mm -hmm. And then I was actually a fan at the game when David Wright made the barehanded catch uh, over his head at third base. This one, I put it still below the Adam Jones Team USA catch just because of what that catch meant in that game in that moment. But I mean, that was insane. And again, I give him uh, an extra point over Jimenez because he went over the railing and fell headfirst to the concrete. That's concrete over there on the other side of it. I mean, that thing hurt, but yeah, what a catch. That was, that was impressive to watch. It really was. Well, the other thing we talk about shifting, and again, to me, like at this point, if someone wants to argue with me about that shifting is bad for the game and we, you know, because of what it means, I get that argument. If someone wants to argue with me that shifting is bad because you lose more plays, you know, from shifting than you gain, uh, the the data just is utterly against you on that. And we've seen it in the steady, especially for left-handed hitters. Left-handed hitters are being, they're seeing their batting averages in some cases destroyed because where balls are, were hits, they're no longer hits. That said, one thing that did stand out for the Astros yesterday Jose Altuve playing that deep second base in the shift is right now really having trouble making that throw. Not because he doesn't have the arm. I've seen a second baseman before who just didn't have the arm to make that short outfield throw regularly. Jose Altuve has the arm to do it, but you can tell he's got a little bit of the, the, the thing on it. He's having to think about it. And the problem is the minute you start thinking about making that throw, I'm not an athlete, make, make clear, but I've gotten that in my head before playing where it's like, you're trying to not overthrow it. And so you end up underthrowing it until you get it through. They ended up not because the dugout ordered it, but at some point, Carlos Correa and him switched because they kind of acknowledged, yeah, he can make that throw, but he can't make this throw. It's something to watch for the rest of the series because the Astros are going to keep shifting and if Jose Altuve is going to keep playing that deep second base and he consistently bounces that throw, we have seen in that game yesterday, Yuli Gurriel, not exactly the guy who you feel comfortable should be. Yuli Gurriel is not a first baseman by trade. He is a shortstop third baseman. Okay, he's older shortstop third baseman, second baseman who now ends up at first. But he's still, he should be able to make that play. But consistently in that game, I say consistently, but several times in that game, he was unable to make it. 
And that ended up being a key part of that game. We see over and over and over again, defense is amplified in the postseason. That first air extends the inning. That would have been the third out of the inning. Two pitches later, Manny Margot comes up, hits a three-run homer. That ends up being the difference in the game. The second throw from Altuve, that was the one to me where the red flags went up. Because look, it happens. You short hop a throw. Like everyone who's ever played the infield at any level, it happens. But you could see it in the second one. He thought about it. He aimed it. He short hopped it. That's the start of the yips. And you, again, obviously I never, ever, ever played anywhere close to professional baseball. Nowhere near good enough. But, you know. I think, again, most people who have played the infield at some point in their lives have had the yips at some point, and it's terrible. I can't even imagine having that on the grandest stage of the postseason where you just don't trust your arm to make the throw and you start aiming it and it spirals. It's a rough place to be, so I'm going to be very curious to see how he comes out today, what it looks like, because if this is a, a problem that snowballs, the Astros have a real big problem here. And, and again, it just goes back to I, I feel like we see it every year the defensive mistakes they snowball and the team that makes fewer of them ends up coming out on top and we've talked about it the astros are hitting the ball harder in the race they've out hit the race this series they've had fewer strikeouts at the plate this series on the race the astros hitters have made blake snell and charlie morton work like crazy snell needed 105 pitches to get through five innings charlie morton was at 83 pitches through three and two thirds yesterday the astros are doing a lot right but Defensive mistakes, they're making them. The Rays aren't. The Rays are turning some balls that should be hits into outs. That's been the difference this series so far. And the Rays pitchers are making big pitches at big times. I think about Diego Castillo, one pitch, double play ground ball yesterday. You know, again, Nick Anderson in that ninth inning threw eight straight balls. If you want to criticize Alex Gregman for swinging first pitch, uh, I get it, but I mean, that was a center cut fastball just a little bit off the plate. But the fact that Anderson got back in the strike zone was big. And, you know, I also go back to, from my vantage point watching it, Alex Bregman stung that ball. Kevin Kiermaier is a really good center fielder who closes a lot of ground in a hurry. He made that catch look more routine and easy than I think it was. Off oh, that, that was, yeah. <laughs> he, clo- he closed a lot of ground in a hurry, which, again, is great defense and- by the Rays. How many? I feel like it was Kyle Tucker. Like you know, again, Bregman stung the ball five times and didn't get a hit out of it, which is really hard to do. Kyle Tucker also. Kyle Tucker's locked in and doesn't have a whole lot to show for it so far. Yeah, he ha- he's had the two nice left off on um, left singles off Aaron Loop that I I've been impressed with. But yeah, he's had some hard hit balls at center field especially, and they've fallen short. So. This is obviously a huge, huge game three. The Rays are sitting pretty. We weren't able to podcast before the series began. Uh, my pick was Rays in five and Dodgers in six. You know, the Rays right now, they, they, they're in the driver's seat. If they win today, obviously going up 3-0, only one team has ever come back from that. So we'll see what happens today, but you well, have to like the position the Rays are in. The other thing to me, the, the, to me, one of the things that stands out with this now is Ryan Yarbrough is going to start game three. Oh, I'm sorry, you're right. Yarbrough three, last now four. My apologies there. And the key thing with that is, is that, again, this is the advantage of being up 2-0. If the Rays were down 2-0, I don't think you probably, yeah, I think you may have some inclination to kind of go back to the Tyler Glasnow well again. But now you're able to set it up where you say, okay, we are able to recenter, get Tyler Glasnow back on full rest and do so where the worst that can happen 
is we hand the ball to Tyler Glasnow up to one. That's a great position to be in. And right. If Ryan Yarbrough and the pen can get through game three, somehow with the W handing a fully rested Tyler Glasnow, the ball going against that Grinky. Let's just make clear right now, as great as that Grinky has been fully rested Tyler Glasnow versus Zach Grinky, who's battling through some soreness in 2020. That's a clear advantage raise. If somehow the Rays win game three, that becomes a massive advantage where you say, here you go, Tyler, please finish this off for us. That's just to me, uh, again, <laughs> being up 2-0 in a series where you could easily be down 0-2, or I would say fairly, you could say, if this was a 1-1 series, I think we would say, yeah, that makes perfect sense. The Rays you know, snagged game one, Astros came back in game two. But to have the Rays up 2-0 here puts them in sitting incredibly pretty, especially of how the rotation set up. Yeah, Jose Arquita versus Ryan Yarbrough tonight. Obviously, if you're the Astros, you really, really, really need to get this one, and, and you feel better about trying to get one off of Yarbrough than you do Snell, Glassner, or Morton. But at the same time, Ryan Yarbrough is a good pitcher. He's pitched well. Uh, we saw him hold the Yankees to you know two runs over five innings um, as a follower, but nonetheless still a good outing. So, yeah, I mean, they got to get this one. Jose Arquiti has has pitched well in the postseason for them at times. Um, that's all you can really say. I, I, I'll be curious to see if the Astros can – finally get some of these hits to start falling if they can't and the Rays continue to play the type of defense they are. Yeah. They're going to come out on top here. Before we wrap up anything else that you want to cover looking back at those games or looking ahead at tonight. Ian Anderson versus Clayton Kershaw is going to be a dandy. I'm, I'm really looking forward to that one. You know, we've talked about Clayton Kershaw and you know, his postseason history. And when it's been on regular rest, he's been much better than he's given credit for. He was great in his first start this postseason. Second start did the job. This is a big one, as you've talked about. Being down 2-0 fundamentally shifts everything about the series. They, the Dodgers really, really, really could use this one, to say the very least. And this is a big moment for Clayton Kershaw. I look forward to seeing how he pitches. And also if Ian Anderson can keep his scoreless streak going against the best uh, team in baseball offensively this year. Uh, the other thing, that, that was the last thing that I wanted in with this is it's we're in the midst of these series. So I'm not ready to go there yet on what the Braves have done so far. We'll see what the Braves have done overall. Once it's all over that said, what they have done so far as a pitching staff is pretty, pretty remarkable. And this is the series that could take it. There's kind of that, that minor asterisk so far. Yeah, they did it in the first round, but that was against the Reds. Yeah, they did it again in the second round, but that was against the Marlins. There is no asterisk. If you if they do something close to what they've done so far against the Dodgers, there's no asterisk left. I don't care what they do in the World Series if they got there. If they shut down this Dodgers team like they've shut down so far, they've done, like they did the Reds and the Marlins, this is one of the great postseason pitching performances we'll ever see because again what they've done so far is utterly remarkable the key part being the one little the two asterisks being reds and marlins didn't have great lineups and the other one caveat being they haven't had to go beyond their number three starter yet which is very important for a team that has three starters but again to see them do it against this dodgers they've done it for one game right now if they keep this up if ian anderson does it again tonight 
that really is remarkable because this is a Dodgers lineup that does not get shut down very often. No, not at all. Sarah Langs over at MLB.com pointed out the Braves are the first team to have uh, to give up only six runs in their first six games since the 1983 Orioles. And those 83 Orioles obviously won the World Series. Now, again, it's a bit different. That was straight LCS and World Series here. The Braves have had a wild card series and division series. But nonetheless, allowing six runs in six games to start a postseason and, and five of those runs came in one game. They've thrown four shutouts and allowed one run in the other game last night. So it, it's been remarkable. And you're right. If they can keep it up, I mean, that's that's going to win you a lot more games than it's going to cost you. They're, uh, they're, they're sitting very pretty right now. But for Kyle, we'll, we will you know keep these up. We're keeping them up coming every day during every weekday, I should say, during the postseason. These are fun. So for Kyle, I'm JJ here on the Baseball America Playoff Podcast. So long, everybody. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter, and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly, beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.